Thank you to our sponsor this week, Brianna Hoffman, a realtor located here in Utah. You know, when we first sold our house and bought the new one that we live in now, I'm just so grateful we use Brianna. I tend to get stressed out when I have a lot of things going on, and it was just so nice to have Brianna there with her calm, kind presence that she always has, taking me through it easily, just one step at a time. I didn't have to keep track of anything because she just always seemed to be a few steps ahead of everything we needed to do. I would highly recommend her. Check out her website at briannahoffman.com. to I See You, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Welcome to the I See You podcast. This is episode 84, Hope After Being Molested by My Dad. Are you guys all out there still? It's been a minute. It's been a break for me for the last month or so. COVID just like knocked me out, man. Not, I guess I should say not actual COVID. I didn't get COVID, although we thought I did. I've been tested for it twice now. Yeah, it's been a lot of mental and emotional exhaustion. It's been a weird year, am I right? And it just feels so good to be recording again. So with that said, I'm super excited for today's episode with my sweet friend, Allie. Allie, welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> and if you're wanting to picture Allie, first of all, we're sitting in my walk-in closet again, <laughs> uh, just like last episode. And so she's super cool and down to earth like that. And also she looks so incredibly identical to Idina Menzel, like more than most people with their, what do they call them? Like their celebrity doppelgangers oh, yeah, or whatever. Oh yeah, Like yours is ridiculous. She was just talking to me before the podcast and I was staring at her and I was like... Oh my heck, has anyone ever told you that you're Idina Menzel? And she's like, uh-huh, a lot of people. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally. So we'll have to make sure in the thumbnail that we have your picture somehow so they can see. For because sure. <laughs> or look at the <laughs> website, juliespeaks.com, so you'll be able to see her picture because it's going to blow your mind. Okay, Ali, so obviously this is a really sensitive topic and I'm super grateful that you're willing to share because I know that what you want more than anything is to just share hope. Yes. Um, can you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, hobbies, whatever you want? Yeah, for sure. We just had a baby and she is three months, a little over three months now. We waited like seven years to get her. She was a miracle. Honestly, we had a lot of infertility problems, miscarriages. It was just so hard for Josh and I. And so we have just had such a fun time. And she's been such a little ray of sunshine during this pandemic and just all the craziness in the world that we're all experiencing. She's really just been that little ray of sunshine in our lives and truly a miracle. So I think that what I would want to say first is I'm a mom and that I get to say that now is just so cool. I have been married to Josh for a little over almost, no, almost eight years. It'll be this August is our Yay. anniversary. So we um, have been married yeah, for eight years. It's crazy to think about. We met ice skating of all places Aww. through mutual friends and he is just my best friend and I love him to death. So I think being in Utah, it makes sense to love outdoors stuff. That's one of my favorite things is being outside. I love camping, hiking, snowboarding, you name it. I love what you said about Utah because I just feel like such a loser. <laughs> Me and Rob have lived out of state as well, but I am originally from Utah and I live here now. And so I always yeah. feel like people expect that you've done all the skiing and the right. snowboarding. And I've done none of that. And so I just always feel like such a loser. Like, I don't know. It's I, never too late, Julie. I know. I hear skiing's great. I hear it is. It's I know. That's like late. on me and Rob's bucket list. But we're like, it's we have to go together late. so we can do the wimpy hills together and yes, warm up slowly. Yes. Fall together, you know. Fall Laugh together. at each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what you do. Totally. Totally. <laughs> 
you talked to me a little bit about it, but will you share with listeners a little bit about your experience with sexual abuse, which I might add is kind of a big topic in the news right now. So this feels like a really timely, important uh, podcast. Can you talk to us about your experience being a victim of of sexual abuse or survivor? I don't know what you prefer. Yeah, no, I would say survivor now for sure. I think it's important to, to make sure you're labeling yourself in the right way and not being a victim anymore. And it's a process to get there. But yeah, you're right. It really was the right time to talk about this with the needed attention that this trafficking, sexual sex trafficking and all these things that are going on. I'm so glad that um, people are waking up and recognizing it. But that's kind of what sparked my desire to talk about this. I was actually watching the documentary by Tim Ballard. Operation Toussaint. Operation Toussaint. Toussaint. Yep. Uh-huh. And I remember sitting in my living room with my husband and after we finished it, I was just in tears through the whole thing. It was just such a triggering thing to watch, but also, you know, just the empathy that I have for those kids um, watching what they go through. And I can't even fathom or imagine what they're experiencing or what they experience. But I just remember sitting there with Josh and I just got this feeling that I needed to reach out to you. And about a year ago, we had talked about... I approached you about doing this this interview. Yeah. Yes. And you were going to think about it. I, I remember feeling a little uncomfortable because I had just cut ties with my parents. It was still so fresh. I was just pregnant with Rowan. Everything was just so raw. It was just too close to home, I think, at that point for me. I never imagined in a million years I would be talking to someone so publicly about my experience with abuse. Yeah, it's not a cakewalk for anyone who's been through it or who knows someone who's been through it. You guys know it's not easy to heal from. It's not easy to cope with. And it is a lifelong thing that you will always have to deal with. And I have to remind myself that sometimes that although I am a survivor and I'm healing and I'm getting the help I need, I've had tons of therapy and tons of support from wonderful people. It's something that I do deal with on a day-to-day basis. Insecurities, not feeling like I have the confidence to stand up for myself. A lot of those things stem from being in a vulnerable place with especially an adult. Um, well, and your father. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a, a whole different ballgame. Yeah. It definitely put me in a place where I felt unheard. I didn't feel like I mattered. I didn't feel like I had value. I felt dirty. I felt like it was my fault. I mean, it just caused just so many problems that I didn't learn how to face until I was 26. And I'm 30 now. But it wasn't until I was 26 that I finally kind of realized what the reality of it is, Mm -hmm. what the reality of the abuse has been in my life. And And can you share just kind of a summary of what did happen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The who, the when. Yeah. So my father... He sexually abused me probably, I want to say it started around five. It's hard to remember, you know, that far back sometimes, but I do remember being that age and being kind of curious about things that I shouldn't have been curious about such a young age, you know, right? there were definitely signs that I was showing that weren't normal. It ended when I was 11, because that's when CPS was called on my dad by a family member. They approached me and asked me what was going on. They could just sense that something was wrong. The family member. Uh Uh-huh. This family member of mine approached me and asked me straight up, has your dad been touching you? I just broke down in tears. You were 11? I hadn't told anyone. Yeah, I was 11. It's been six years. Yep. And so for the first time, somebody took notice in, in me and knew that something was off. 
I felt such relief, so much. I remember feeling so relieved because this person came to me and asked this and I just broke down. And about a week later, you know, the police were at our door and my dad wasn't there and we were interviewed by them and we were working with CPS. So was Um, your dad removed from the home? he, He was for a little bit. And then I think we actually lived with my grandparents, my mom's parents for a little bit as well. But there was like a restraining order type mm-hmm. situation where he wasn't allowed to be around me for quite some time. It was probably a couple months during this process. We were getting ready. We had a, I'm pretty sure we had a court date ready to go. And I remember going to speak with, I think it was one of the prosecutors um, down in Salt Lake. And I remember going with my mom and she was just so upset which obviously I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine learning this about, you know, your spouse. That's so hard. But she became almost controlling of what I was saying to these prosecutors, to whoever, I don't, you know, as a kid, you don't remember who the people were in the room that were recording you, but these people with CPS that were working with me and recording my statements, I was already nervous to talk to these strangers about something so triggering and so personal But then my mom started manipulating me, unfortunately, and making me feel guilty for outing my dad and for speaking the truth. She was kind of relentless about it. It was really hard. I didn't feel like she had my back. I didn't feel like she was supporting me. She made me feel like I was ruining our family, like I was tearing us apart. And so, you know, what would any 11-year-old girl do? I told them that I was lying. And these were words that were fed to me. You told CPS that you were Mm -hmm. lying? That I was lying and that I was just wanting attention. And he got to come home. And the rest is history at that point. I mean, it was something that we never talked about ever again after that. It was kind of like, hey, brush this under the rug. We don't need to ever bring this up. When he came home, the sexual abuse stopped. It did. You think it probably scared him I and your mom. So. Oh, and absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't the first so that's the time one that my positive mom... thing that came from that, right? At least right. the abuse stopped. Yes. Yes. But definitely still, there was a lot of emotional abuse. And I think there was a lot of fear. I was very afraid of him and didn't feel like I could ever speak about that to anyone. I was so afraid of what would happen, what they would do to me or what it would do to our family. It was just a really shameful place for me to be in. And I felt ashamed. I felt Mm -hmm. ashamed of myself and the whole situation. And unfortunately, there were family members involved on both sides of our family that knew he was being accused of this and they did not reach out to me once and ask if I was okay. (laughs) I didn't get any support from any adult that knew about it. That's tough. It's hard because this whole time they've known this one version of the story or it's what they wanted to believe. This whole time I've known my truth and haven't really felt like I could say anything about it. And to be clear, this is not a, I'm here to set the record straight and call you out and tell everyone the truth. My my goal with all this is to bring awareness and talk about the reality of these things and that they happen and to help people if I can, you know, if I could even help one person through my story, I will do it. But yeah, it was it was a really lonely place for me to be as a child growing up. And I was bullied in school. I I had a really hard time with friends. I just didn't feel like I fit in and then I would come home to parents who I didn't feel like they loved me. I really questioned their love for me a lot. Sorry. I shouldn't apologize for crying. Um, (laughs) We just talked about that. We don't apologize for crying. We did. I don't apologize for crying. 
but it was really hard as a kid and as an adolescent, you know, during those crucial years where you're just so confused about who you are in general. I just didn't feel like I had anywhere to go. I didn't have anywhere to turn to. I didn't feel safe in my home. I didn't feel safe out in my home. It was just a really hard, lonely time for me. That's where a lot of my insecurities and problems with being confident in myself came from. Even as an adult, I struggle. I struggle sometimes standing up for myself and, you know, putting my foot down and and speaking up for me, for myself. That's where it really stems from is just not being heard, not being believed. But back in 2016, I was 26 and I was actually in a facility for an eating disorder, which not a lot of people know about, but I really feel confident talking about that. I've been in recovery for a long time now. That's when I learned how severe the abuse really was and how much it affected me. My therapist kind of dug it out of me. She started asking me questions about my childhood and that's when it all came out. That's when I realized that the underlying problem was my abuse and that was my way of coping. And so I'm in this facility. I'm learning a lot about mental health and just getting the help I needed and figuring out the root cause to to what I was going through. And um, that's when I first approached my parents about the abuse after so many years of not talking about it. I emailed them and I kind of told them how I felt about it and that we needed to start talking about these things that have been kept secret for so long. And that's kind of where my journey started of healing, realizing that I can't keep this secret anymore. Um, We had a motto at the center that I went to. It is secrets keep you sick. Mm -hmm. Heard that phrase a lot. Yeah. I completely agree. That was like my motto is Mm -hmm. secrets keep you sick. And it's so true. And just watching what this secret has done to my family and to me it just wasn't worth to hold on to anymore. So yeah, I've been able to do a lot of healing and a lot of a lot of hard things, honestly. It has not been easy, especially stepping away from a relationship that although toxic is still my parents. That will never change, but I had to do what was right for me and for my family and my, my little baby. Yep. You know? There's nothing like kids no. to make you make those hard decisions, no. huh? And it was so Nothing like it. And it was so timely. I feel like everything happens on God's time. (laughs) His timing is perfect. So actually it was a week before we found out we were pregnant. That's when I cut ties with my family. And then we found out and I was just like, that's not coincidence. Getting out of that toxic relationship has really changed me. And I feel like I can breathe. I feel like I'm up out of the water and I can function and I can be the mother I want to be. You're kind of already talking about this, but as far as boundaries now, Mm -hmm. how are boundaries helping you heal and thrive? Yeah. Boundaries are so important. I honestly can't stress that enough. It was probably one of the hardest pieces of my recovery and my healing, to be honest. I really struggled with setting setting boundaries with my parents. I feel like we were so off and on with our relationship. So when I got out of the center, I really wanted to just take some time away from my parents. And once the holidays came around, I was right back was upsetting because deep down I knew that wasn't what I needed to heal, but I felt like I needed to please them. And I felt like I needed to be there for them. And that was part of forgiving them. And I really got that confused. I was very confused about forgiving and trusting. And um, I had a very wise person tell me forgiveness is required by God, but trust is earned. That's when I realized I don't need to keep going back. After a couple years of being in the toxic relationship again, 
I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's just too much. I tried doing boundaries with my parents when I was in the relationship with them. It just didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted it to. Right. And I really wanted to feel comfortable being around them and going to their house. But every time I was around them, I just felt so unsettled. I would come home in tears. I just never felt like I could be okay when mm-hmm. I was around them. So for me, my boundaries are very <laughs> like extreme. Yeah. Cause yeah. I know there are a lot of people out there who have dysfunctional families or toxic relationships and they can set boundaries like, okay, you need to treat me this way or you won't be able to be around me anymore. And that's right. kind of where I started. But I quickly realized that with just the history, the nature of my abuse and who my abuser was, it it's just so hard to heal that kind of that relationship. Yeah, that doesn't heal overnight. I think especially if the other party is not trying to heal in the same way as well, right. you got to take care of yourself. And I think something that I really like to think about is that the healthiest boundaries are flexible mm-hmm. on your side. And that means I know you and I have discussed before about if certain things were to change, you would welcome those relationships Absolutely. more to an extent in your life, which yes. I think is really admirable. Yes. Um, that you leave that possibility open that if certain things were to change, you would like to see more of your parents. Yes. And I think that's a beautiful ability you have to forgive. And I know it's taken time and a lot of therapy yes. and I understand that, but I just, that's it really neat. Has. And it's believing in hope. It's believing people can change. They can. Absolutely. They can choose to change. I was bitter for a long time. I was really angry. And once I found that I needed to forgive. And once I started on that process of forgiving, I really truly felt just this weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I could live. But when I was angry with them, which I'm not saying you shouldn't be angry when you're abused, you have every right to be angry. And I think there is a time for every emotion and every feeling when you're going through that process. The healing process is messy and anger is a part of it. It's an emotion and we all have it and we shouldn't be afraid of it. But there is a point where you do have to let go and you do have to move forward. For your own health. For your own health, exactly. And there was a moment when I realized I can't hold on to this anymore. I'm not living the way I want to be. And this is making me... This is not making me a happy person. Anger has served its purpose. Yep. It's time now to yep. set it aside. It served a purpose, exactly. an important one. Yes. Really, truly forgiveness is such a key part of healing from abuse in any situation, whether it's a parent, babysitter, someone you know, someone you don't know, it doesn't matter. Forgiving that person and moving forward, if anything, for you to heal. It's just such a crucial part. And I can't stress that enough. It's been such a blessing for me to be able to do that. Who has really helped you through this process of healing? Because you haven't had a ton of parental support. Who do you feel like has really seen you with compassion and connected with you during this really challenging time of healing? Yeah. First and foremost, my husband. He has been behind me every step of the way. And Because you were married when you were in the the center for your eating disorder, right? You were married at the time? Yes. Our husbands should have a conversation sometimes. They probably probably have a good talk. They could relate. Yeah, they could relate on some things. Yep. When I first told him about the abuse, we had only been married maybe a year. And I remember bringing it up to him, but I hadn't gotten therapy yet. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I was still in this brain fog where I was repressing so much. Yeah. And I remember telling him, but there was just no emotion behind it. It was just kind of like, matter of fact, guess what? I was abused. And then we just kind of moved on from the conversation. It was like, 
Mm-hmm. Just so nonchalant. And I remember after I went to the center and we got help, he approached me about it. He was just like, I remember when you first told me you were abused and I was so confused because you're the way you said it, there was just something off. Mm-hmm. It was almost like you didn't believe it yourself. And so he even had a hard time believing it. Mm-hmm. And once I started getting therapy and he realized how real it was, that's when it just clicked. He was so supportive and is still so supportive through all of that. He's just been such a strength for me. And I don't want to say I couldn't have gone through it without him, but truly he's been a huge part of my healing. And also my parent-in-laws, my in-laws, they've been wonderful, wonderful support. And although I can never replace my mom and dad, you know, you want to find parental figures through others and you can find family even if they're not blood. You can fill needs. You can. Mm-hmm. And although they may not be blood, they are seriously just the best people. They are so compassionate. They're so understanding. They listen intently. They are there for me and they show up for me and they don't make me feel bad for what I've been through or talking about it around them. They give me a safe place to come to. And that's huge. That is huge. That's, I think, one of the greatest compliments you can pay a person is that they're safe. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's dealing with toxic relationships where maybe more boundaries are needed, maybe people that are being manipulative? What just off-the-cuff advice do you have for them? I would just tell people, first off, to maybe do some research. I'm all for research. I'm all for being educated on new topics, things that you don't understand. I wouldn't have known what a manipulative person looked like you know, four years ago before I was getting help. And so I think if you feel like you're in a relationship that is strained or toxic, but you're not sure why, look up some of those things. Like what is it? What is a manipulative person? What are signs of manipulation? Kind of educate yourself so you can understand what those things are. Then realize also that these people who are manipulating have probably been doing it for years. It's something that... I think is built up over time. Unfortunately, in my case, I lived with people who were really good at manipulating and pointing the finger at me. You know, if you're going through that, if you're dealing with someone who's manipulating you, realize that these people may not even realize they're doing it. They may not be in their right mind. And you really have to remind yourself that you are capable of standing up for yourself and removing yourself from that situation. I've had to tell myself several times, I'm an adult. I have to take ownership of my life and my and my family and myself and realize that no one owns me. No one controls me and what I do. And I may have felt like that in the past in that relationship. But now seeing the other side of it, I can say, okay, it's time to take take over and take care of myself and do whatever it takes to protect me and my family. Um, It's not worth it to be around people that do that to you. And obviously, if they're willing to change and if they're willing to listen to, you know, your boundaries and follow them and respect them, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But if they're not, honestly, my advice is to really look at that relationship for what it is, face value and talk to yourself about that. Talk to people who are supportive, who are there for you, who you feel safe being around. Think about the pros and cons of that relationship. Is it doing more harm than good? Is it something that you need in your life? Do you feel like you're a better person not being around those people? Those are things I had to ask myself before I was able to remove myself from the toxic relationship. That's some really good advice. 
I know people who don't believe that sexual abuse, child trafficking topics in that area are happening in their own community. Mm-hmm. What would be your ending message at this really pivotal time in history where we're oh. finally opening up about this conversation of people that think, I don't think that happens around here? What, would, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? It is very real. And it is time for people to start waking up and realizing that this happens every day. And it could be happening to someone you know. These past generations, you know, I'm a millennial, but these past generations, like my parents and grandparents, they came from a time where they didn't talk about this stuff. It was very much so brush it under the rug. Don't talk about it. Out of sight, out of mind. And that's just how they dealt with those kinds of things. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this generation where we are speaking up. I think we're honestly just sick of it. <laughs> we're just sick of the secrecy and can't mm-hmm. keep secrets forever. Eventually, the truth does come out. This happens to people that you would never imagine. You know, you would look at my family and you would never imagine that this would have happened to me or that my parents would have done something like this. So we just need to be more aware of our surroundings and the people around us, our relationships, the people we interact with on a day-to-day basis. There have been so many times that I've heard about situations of abuse happening at the hands of someone that they knew. It's usually someone that you know. So I think if we start being more aware and educating ourselves, again, just educate yourselves on these topics. And um, I think educating your kids too. Yes. In a way that's, 100%. In a way that's not traumatizing, but right. I think it's so important to educate your kids that not even family members should ever be touching you. You know, exactly. finding a way yeah, to I, do that. And I agree, it's age sensitive. Mm-hmm. But I wished that I had been taught those things at that age when I started being abused. Absolutely, because I would have five known years that old. it was wrong. Like right now, if yes. that happened to one of my kids, I think they would know it was wrong. Because we've had very, very clear conversations. Yes, that it is their body. They oh, That's their body. Mm-hmm. No one else's. And we also need to be educating our children on the correct terms of our anatomy, you know, our body parts, call them what they are, no nicknames, start calling them what they are. And I actually read there was a pediatrician and I'm not going to quote her exactly because I don't even remember her name, (laughs) but I read this article from a pediatrician talking about teaching our children the correct anatomy, the terms of our body parts and how it can significantly reduce the chances of children being abused if they know those things. But I think being forward about that a little bit with our kids and teaching them those things is so important um, so that they can understand at a young age even, because it's happening to little kids, not just teenagers. There is not too young of an age to start teaching our children about this stuff. Obviously, we need to think about how we deliver it to them. When they're little, there's only so much they will understand. But you think at such an young age, you can never start too early teaching kids how special and important their body is and how it's their body. Right. And how to treat it with respect and that mm-hmm. others should treat it with respect as well. And, and that if you don't like someone touching you, that you get to say no. I mean, right. those are things you can teach a little, little kid, right? Yes. And that they can understand. Yes. Plan on doing that with my daughter. And I want her to feel like that is her body. If she doesn't like, you know, being tickled or maybe she doesn't want to be held, she she can tell me that. And just because I'm the parent does not mean I have the right to say, well, I'm the mom. So I can hold you and I can do these. No, they are an individual and it is their body. And the more we start realizing that and teaching our children that, these problems with abuse and stuff will start not happening as much. Which is exciting because I think some people see it as such a huge problem that it's like, where do we even begin? Right. It's like, 
No, I think these things make it a starts huge with difference. your family. Yeah. It starts with you. And and gratefully, I mean, I love the quote, when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. There are things that happen in past generations. You know, we don't mean to put all the blame on them. No. But there definitely was more of a understanding of, yeah, not talking about these right. things. That was definitely prevalent. And the idea that, that we can do some healing mm-hmm. in our generation is really powerful. So powerful. There's something we can do about it. Yes. They didn't know better. There was not as much education out there. There So we don't even need to fault. No. But we can just say, like, we are lucky to know better and now we do better. Yes. And I feel so lucky to be able to do this for me and for my family and for our future generations, you know, to be able to... Pioneer this. Yes. And to let it end with me. And did not continue the this cycle. It doesn't continue past It does here. not continue past here. One of the biggest messages I would give to either survivors or people who are victims of abuse is to let it end with you. Be the one that makes a difference. There is such a strength in that. And you can be a, such a force in your family and in your community and to your friends by realizing that it doesn't have to continue and that you are strong enough to say no, no more be that light to people because people need you. People need to be able to relate and to connect with people who've been through similar situations. And if we start recognizing that and start realizing that we have the power to heal, you know, not just our generation, but even past generations. I've had a lot of family members that I've talked to about this situation that were like, wow, I didn't realize how bad it was, or this has got to be so hard. I want to learn more. I want to understand you better. My in-laws, they came from a generation that was that, that was that way, you know, very Let's keep this hush-hush. Let's not talk about it. And they have been so open to learn and understand and to change their viewpoint and the way that they think. And it's been really good to see that even though they were raised a certain way doesn't mean they have to continue to be that way. Yeah, it makes me think I did an episode called Compassion Across Generations. And I just so believe in that, that there there are strengths to offer each other. Yes. There are strengths to be given to each other. And I think that's how we really heal families. Another thing that I would want to mention to either survivors or victims of abuse is that there is life after abuse. It can be really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, especially when you're in the thick of it. But it is possible. I'm proof of that. I have found so much happiness and joy in my life. I have found so much fulfillment in becoming a mom and being married to an amazing person who I call my best friend. I didn't think that those things would happen for me. I really didn't. I didn't think that I would ever be happy again, to be quite honest. But it is possible if you allow yourself to love yourself enough to get the help you need and to heal, that happiness and that joy that you long for is so possible. Thank you so much for being on the podcast (laughs) and just for sharing your light and your hope, your honesty, and also your mindfulness of knowing when you were ready to talk about this. And thank you for still being my friend, even though like (laughs) we met on the same day we met, I was like, so do you want to talk on my podcast? This is secretly how I get some of my guests. I just think people are so cool. Thanks for sharing that here. I think it's, I think it's going to help a lot of people. It's a good perspective. Thank you again to our sponsor, Brianna Hoffman, a realtor located here in Utah. You just got to give her a try, people. I loved her as a real estate agent so much. Almost makes me want to sell my house again. Just kidding. Not really. But one thing I really like about Brianna's website is how she shares a tip for the week. And some of the tips are specific to buying and selling homes. But a lot of times they're just fun tips like hacks for cleaning and just other homeowner tips in general. Brianna is all things homes. She loves homes and making them beautiful. Get into 
touch with her at brianna-hoffman.com. Listeners, thank you so much for being here with us today. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you.